Welcome to another session with the Market Dominance Guys, a program about the innovators, idealists, and entrepreneurs who thrive and die in the high-stakes world of building a startup company. We explore the cookbooks, guidebooks, and magic beans needed to grow your business. So let's get going. You're listening to the Market Dominance Guys with your host, Chris Beal of Connect and Sell and Corey Frank of Uncommon Pro. Welcome to another episode of the Market Dominance Guys with Corey Frank and the Sage of Sales, Chris Beal with all things market dominant oriented. This is something that drives me a little bit nuts. When CEOs stop selling and they cut themselves off from the only information flow that counts, which is what's happening inside of a discovery conversation that indicates to you that something needs to be different, something about your positioning, something about your product. Something about your company needs to change in order to stay current and stay ahead of what's going on in your marketplace. You know, as you go through the process of dominating market, things change. One of the things that changes is some things get easier. And so if you keep doing certain things the hard way, you're wasting money and time. It could be that there's an easier way to move ahead at that point. So who knows? But unless you're out there on the front lines, and, and particularly, very specifically, CEOs need to engage in discovery conversations. Discovery is discovery. Discovery mm-hmm. is not discovering whether they need your product. That's what salespeople tend to think of discovery as. I'm going to discover that you, Corey, need to buy my thing. Isn't it a miracle that every discovery conversation has <laughs> the same outcome? You should buy my stuff. It's like, mm-hmm. really? I thought we were going to discover the nature of the problem that you think you have, and then we're going to examine that problem in the light of different ways of looking at it, thinking about it, that might reveal a solution to the problem that you hadn't considered before. It may well be that that solution is something we can help you with. It may well be otherwise. That's why it's called discovery. And it's actually been flipped on its head. It's like, we're not discovering. What we're doing is hoping. We're hoping that you want to buy something because I got to make my number, right? kind of funny we call it making my number when I get lucky enough that the hope turns into an outcome. So as a CEO, I want to know what's going on. I'm driving on a road that hasn't been driven before. By definition, at all times, my company is going into new territory. Even if all we're doing is going into the easier part of this market, how do I know, for instance, something we've talked about, which is when I've gotten far enough into one market where it's time to seriously consider a foray into an adjacent market? Well, I've said before, it's done by the numbers. But in fact, I was, I'm, I'm lying when I say that. It's actually done before the numbers. That is, there's a point in the process where a discovery conversation with the wrong person shows incredible opportunity. And it's only when it's with the wrong person, which is why you must eat false positives in the discovery process. You have to put false positives in. Since you don't know they're false positives, you just need to be a little bit promiscuous. As you throw opportunities into the discovery process, you have to be a little bit tight. And I've said before on a different episode, 15% false positives is a pretty good number. That's right. 10% is light. 20% is okay, but a little bit wasteful. And 50%, you probably don't know what you're doing. So if you had about 15% and you have like, I'm looking, I'll look at our team again for the day. Let me just see how we're doing. What would that mean for us? So today, so far, we have, um, just to take a little peek here, 
we've got 20 meetings, right? So 15% of 20 meetings would be three of those meetings would be with people we shouldn't speak with. So say three of those happen a day. So every week we're gonna speak with uh, 15 people we shouldn't speak with. So say one out of 15 of those people actually has a problem we can solve. That's nice, it's a problem we yep. can solve even yep. though they're not correct with regard to our idea of the market. And say that problem turns out to be a problem that's fundamentally interesting in the sense that it represents a market opportunity, not a one-off. Well, how are we gonna know that? My salespeople aren't gonna report that back to me. And if they do, we're gonna say, hey, focus on the ones that wanna buy what's in the bag, right? We're not gonna say, hey, great, you brought us something weird. So who is it who is gonna take an appropriate action called thinking in the face of something weird? There's only one safe place to do that. That's at the CEO position. That's correct, right. CEOs are allowed to have weird thoughts and consider strange possibilities and maybe bring them forward and have them argued, shut down, whatever. You kind of get used to it as a CEO. You get used to your team kind of saying, really, again, nutty. I, didn't we do that before and it didn't work? That's a very yeah. common yeah. thing That's you're right. getting CEO, right? We tried that in mm -hmm. 2013 and it failed in, in a spectacular way. Well, sometimes you end up prophesizing something that is different from what happened before with the kind of outcome but you need the input from the market. And I don't mean the market you're selling to, I mean the market that you're not selling to, the one you don't even have yet. Mm -hmm. So the CEO needs to be out there doing that. It's kind of like if you were driving a car and you're driving on a road you've never seen before. Say it's the middle of winter and back in the day you were gonna come up and visit me at my house up Pine Needle Notch, up Flagstaff mm -hmm. Road. And you weren't aware because you've never driven that road before. You're a desert guy, right? You weren't aware that sometimes there's a stretch of the road just above Long Canyon that when everything's great, sometimes has a little ice on it and it's outward sloping. And it's about a 950 foot drop down into that canyon. <laughs> Don't you want to actually feel that ice rather than just checking the outcome? Did, did Corey make it? That's how we do it in sales. We say, how many deals did you close? How are we doing? That would have been, how often did you make it to my house? Oh. Well, why didn't he make it? That's and right. the answer is there's a, there's a 26 foot stretch of road that tends to have ice on it that tilts to the outside. And somebody forgot to tell Corey, hug the cliff a little bit, angle the car over there, slow down. And by the way, do you have tires that can handle this? And where's your four wheel drive? Mm -hmm. So it's the CEO's job to feel the ice, to feel the difference, and then to kind of be the early warning system or the early opportunity system to close the loop and come back. CEOs who don't sell also have another problem. They don't know where the friction is in their sales system. So all systems have friction. Every system in the world has friction. Some dumb thing, right? So it's just there, every single one. How do you know? Well, your reps will complain. Really? You're going to listen to all their complaints? No, you're going to dismiss their complaints because reps complain because they're reps and they're looking for excuses. Right? They're in a game where it's like golf. Right? You and I play a little bit of golf. What do you do when you start a run of golf? You assemble the most important club in your bag, your number one excuse for how you're going to play. That's the most important club because you know it's not going to be great and you got to have a good excuse. So right now mine would be, oh, I haven't played since last September. More often it's, you know, I've had some issues with my back as I've gotten a little bit older, but you got to have an excuse, right? Salespeople need an excuse because they're in a game that has a lot of luck and a lot of failure. Mm -hmm. So you stop listening to them.
But when they're telling you about legit friction, be great to listen to them. I tell you what, you put yourself in there as CEO and you absorb that friction, you have to eat it, it's wasting your time. Suddenly it's like, oh, I'm worth X zillion dollars an hour. Why am I spending my time doing this? Why is my show rate this low? I had two meetings scheduled today. They didn't even show. Well, okay, you just experienced it. Now let's go find the root cause. Maybe nothing can be done about it. Maybe something can be done about it, but you're the one complaining now. And when well, you find it interesting, we'll figure it out. Connect and Sell. Welcome to the end of dialing as you know it. Connect and Sell allows your sales reps to talk to more decision makers in 90 minutes than they would in a week or more of conventional dialing. Your reps can finally be 100% focused on selling since all of their CRM data entry and follow-up scheduling is fully automated within Connect and Sell's powerful platform. Your team's effectiveness will skyrocket by using Connect and Sell's teleprompter capability as they'll know exactly what to say during critical conversations. So come on, give your fingers a rest with Connect and Sell. Visit connectandsell.com. listening to the market dominance guys with your host chris beal of connect and sell and Corey frank of uncommon pro i've always been fascinated right as long as uh, i've known you longer than the connect and sell days of course but since even at connect and sell it's unusual that you as ceo your esteemed vp of sales john t and your chairman all still make regular sales calls and sell and in fact are some of the top producing folks in the company. What, what, why continue to do that? Don't you have the market figured out by now? Isn't your time or Jonty's or even Sean's at the chairman level? I mean, you guys are dominating your market. You're growing at a great rate every year. It seems that there shouldn't be that many changes to the marketplace or are there? Are there? Yes. Yes, there are. They always are changing. Always are changing unless you do regular sales. So, so CEOs love to do this kind of stuff. I'll go sell something big. I'll go harpoon a whale. I'm a whale harpooner, right? <laughs> right? Well, I got a couple little whales that I've harpooned and I kind of like them. They didn't start that way. However, they just started little. And since they're my accounts, I have to pay a lot of attention to what happens every day in them. So I'm in contact with all the way through the process, through renewals, and particularly through customer success. And why? Because my customers really feel free to call me, right? I'm the CEO. They don't like something. They know that they're going to get something out of a call. So give me a call and say, hey, Chris, uh, that guy you sent over for the messaging workshop the other day, wasn't as thrilling as you. What's the deal? Well, whatever, right? I, I, I get to hear it. So that's the most important thing is you get to hear it all the way through. But it's not about the whales. It's not about bringing in the big deals. It's not about any of that. It's about being in the mix and feeling what's behind the numbers so that we can have rational discussions with each other about it and go, is that real? Is that not real? Is it just my emotions? By having all three of us sell, and we do sell a fair amount, you know, it's, it's pretty beefy numbers that we put up. And we compete a little bit. Chanti caught me by 10 grand on December 31st last year. I'm not saying he's a sandbagger. I'm really not. I'm just saying that he's a guy who knows how to get you by 10 grand on December 31st at 11 p.m. <laughs> right. Right? right? I'm not bitter about it. I, I just think it's a, a good thing, right? But what are we really seeing? We're seeing the flow of the business every day at every stage. 
so that the numbers can be interpreted in the light of, of shared experience. We can get together and say, you know, are you seeing X, Y, or Z? Are you noticing that more people that we talk to seem to be interested in an outsourced solution of having somebody else, like Youngblood Works, actually have their conversations for them at the top of the funnel? And do you know why? Uh, yeah, I am seeing that. Well, well, why do you think that's going on? Well, I talked to this one and I got this particular enlightenment. Really? Can we go back and talk to that person again? Maybe we can take them into a different sales process. Maybe we can do an experiment. Mm -hmm. So when you're running something, if you think you're running against stasis, you're out of your mind. You're running against continuous change. And everything you think about it that's interesting is wrong. Everything you think about it that's uninteresting may or may not be wrong. Maybe you think a bunch of correct things. But the interesting things are the ones where you're wrong. And when you're out selling, you feel it. And you go, wow, that bothers me. The way that conversation went bothers me. A salesperson words, is going to go, I didn't get them. You're going to go, that bothers me. That's right. So in other words, what I hear you saying, Chris, is never trust a CEO who wears flip-flops. Absolutely. The ones who wear flip-flops will not go very deep in the canyon. The barefoot ones you can trust. Actually, I was just... <laughs> Here's a personal note. I was just told by my fiance the other day, she didn't tell me, she told somebody else, that she hasn't seen me in any footwear other than barefoot and flip-flops since March 13th of this year. So yeah, don't trust me. I will never go past the flip-flop line. That's all there is to it. That's right. So CEOs, how about, so professional CEOs, right? You reach a certain stage as a venture funded company or even a private equity backed company, if we go up the food chain a little bit more, and you're a hired gun, Chris, right? I'm from XYZ Venture Firm, and the CEO is now gonna become the chief visionary officer or chief strategist or whatever title that they deem because the CEO got us to 20, 25 million, and now we're thinking of a new change, somebody, a hired gun to come in and take us from 25 to 100 million or so. What should the CEO do and not do in those type of situations? Because the ownership of the company is still very much alive. Those founders obviously still care very much about that. If they're humble enough to bring in or let their VC bring in a CEO or a hired gun or was placed by a PE firm. And let's talk a little bit about that as we kind of expand this concept of what should the CEOs be doing in the sales role, obviously under the guise of making sure that alignment is, is tight functionally between sales and marketing. Well, for one thing, I mean, those people are real live professional CEOs. They're not like, a, like me, so I don't really know. <laughs> but I, I have observed a few of them and I, I have a sense, and some of them are my friends, so I have a sense of what their challenges are. You kind of have a choice when you come in as a hired gun. You can choose to be what we call Mr. Monkey in my circles. Mr. Monkey, you know those little monkeys that the toy one that you get that you wind up and it's got the symbols that it bangs together and that's all sure. it does. It bangs the symbols yeah. together and makes this noise, right? It, I used to work for one. Yeah. 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 Sort of a yeah. Sort of a cheerleader monkey, right? And they're just doing the same thing over and over. And then if the company grows under them, they take credit for it, much like oh, absolutely. No advice. No one will. Yeah, stockbrokers bring you a bunch of stuff and some of it's great and they take credit for that and stuff that's not great. Suddenly they're just bringing you new stuff. Just keep banging the symbols together. So you can be Mr. Monkey and you'll probably do okay. 
I don't object to it. Mr. Monkeys tend to negotiate hard for themselves. And as a result, they tend to do okay. And there's kind of a desperate shortage of people who are willing to be CEOs, regardless of what everybody says about the job. It's not actually that popular for some pretty good reasons. Mm -hmm. It isn't the very, very most fun job in the world in a lot of places. Uh, It's the Lonely Minds Club because they have no hearts. So that's one way to do it. But even if I were Mr. Monkey, I would do this. I would take one discovery call per day, one. Not curated, just one out of the mix. And I'd have it assigned to me, one per day, half an hour. That's what I would dedicate to my sales activity. And then I'd pass it off. Because frankly, it's in discovery that we make the greatest discoveries. So gonna learn a lot in discovery. I'm gonna learn what our sales process was like at the tip of the spear, finding out what customers need. I'm gonna find out what my flow is like. Can you imagine if I came into a company, I said, give me one discovery call a day, and they said, boss, we don't have one, right? We don't have one for you. We, we're gonna to have to work at that. It's like, really? That tells me something already. Yeah, and five no-shows in five days or whatever. Exactly, you will, you'll gain more information through that half hour than all the staff meetings you will ever hold in the entire year. You'll gain credibility because you'll be out there executing discovery calls And if you're really good at taking credit, you can take credit for the deals that come afterwards. Now, it's kind of funny because all you are is a filter. But if you're a pretty good filter, if you can discover need and the need turns into something that happens downstream, Mm -hmm. turns into business, you know, those are your deals. So you'll be an actual player. But what you'll learn is the stuff where you can move the needle with very little effort. It's always hiding in there somewhere. No one's going to tell you. No one's going to tell you. Did you know that we have three extra steps in our sales process that we inherited from five years ago that drive away the best customers? Why? Well, because somebody once said that if we make them sign the contract first rather than whatever, blah, 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 right? And when you're the rep, you're going, are you kidding me? That's crazy. I could feel it, right? So you'll find the points where you can have the maximum impact with the minimum disruption. And the credibility factor is huge. One of the things you need as a CEO in all cases is either credibility or the illusion of credibility. And real credibility doesn't hurt the illusion. So if you're an illusion kind of Mr. Monkey, then this will help. If you're not and you're a reality kind, then this will help. So the one thing I would advise any CEO to do, by the way, if you're a VP of sales, chief revenue officer, whatever you are, including if you are the director of business development, take one discovery call per day on your calendar. 250 discovery calls a year will transform you and will transform your business. That's exceptional advice. And uh, today, if you had to guess, right, since I've done all those roles and I failed in all those roles, and that's such a such an incredible piece of advice, Chris. Like I said, we've known each other for a long time. You've seen some of the organizations that I've been a part of and that I created. And I can tell you that I fall into those, a lot of those same traps. Hey, I only want to be on the big deals or just kind of save me for just the ones that have a lot of meat on that chicken wing. And I've been doing it completely backwards. So that's so incredibly embarrassing, cringeworthy for a sales guy like me to hear that something so simple, Occam's razor, in that regard, that's just one a day. So, I mean, you talk with sales organizations, you and Jonti and Sean talk with sales organizations, VPs all day long. How many are doing that today, would you think? What percentage? Uh, I'd be shocked if it was 5%. Of CEOs, I'd be shocked if it was two. Yeah. I'd be shocked if it was 2%. The easiest, cheapest thing in the world 
to give yourself information and organizational power, including, by the way, board power. Because when you're in a board meeting and those numbers are up there and yes. somebody's poking at the numbers, do you want to be held hostage by your VP of sales as the only person with the story, right? That might be the person you need to fire tomorrow for all you know. Mm -hmm. And so you better have some of your own stories and they better be firsthand, not secondhand. And so 250 stories to choose out of for a year is a lot better than maybe zero or one whale that oh, went after sure. you were called in on the big deal or whatever. No, so, that's, uh, that's malpractice insurance as far as I'm concerned, what you're just communicating here. And I've certainly been guilty of it for many, many years. It's massive and it's simple, it's easy, it's executable. And guess what? It's also fun because one of the problems with the CEO job is your office, if you have one, and you might notice I tend not to for this reason. If somebody once asked me, why aren't you ever in the office? I said, every time I go there, there's no customers. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see anybody who's interesting there because you got, I know you guys, I can talk to you anytime, but no customers, right? So when you, when you think about it, it's like your office as a CEO goes from being a place of discourse to an echo chamber because people will want to tell you what they think you want to hear. And the one party who won't tell you what they think you want to hear is a prospect. They'll tell you the truth. At least they'll tell you the truth if you're humble enough to do what it takes to get a confession out of them. So if you can do that, you'll get the truth. And the truth will be, talk about will set you free. Sean McLaren always repeats that. Anytime somebody goes down one of these perception is reality paths or they don't want to know the, the truth, he says, just repeats that. Know the truth. The truth will set you free. That's right. So here, here's the simple way of getting the truth with variety, with statistical variety. 250 is a pretty big number, right? 200 squared. If we just had 200 a year, 200 squared is what? 40,000? If your market's 40,000, you just did a clean sample in a year with statistical validity. Mm -hmm. You've got to hear all the different things people are going to say. And every once in a while, you're going to find something. I found something three weeks ago. I let people just jump onto my calendar and ask the sales development team to really load me up because I wanted to see what did it feel like friction-wise to have 10 discovery calls in a row back to back. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see how bad was it? Would I have time in between them? How much research does it really take? What's the handoff like? How much logistical work do I have to do? So I wanted to drive myself crazy. It's not obvious, but I'm a really impatient person. I frustrate relatively easily. Mm. I know a lot of people go, oh, you're so patient, you're so mellow. Yeah, exactly. Get close enough sometime and you'll find out that's not always the case. And I know myself pretty well. So I wanted to see what's it like. Beat me up. So I want to be in the ring. I want to have one fighter after another come in. Boom, 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 boom. So the first one was at 7 a.m. We did 10 in a row. It's only five hours. That's right. That's right. Done by noon. Mm -hmm. Really think about that. Mm -hmm. 10 discovery calls finished by noon. Kind of mm -hmm. nothing to it. Mm -hmm. And I was tired by the time we got to the eighth one. And I was concerned that I was starting to not pay attention very well. And the eighth discovery call was an individual. And I didn't research this person very well, but she turned out to be somebody who had worked as a consultant to one of our most interesting customers who was in a new vertical that we hadn't played in very much. And really? so I do this discovery call and what happened? She says, oh, I want to start a company using Connect and Sell as the core in a vertical that I believe I know an awful lot about. And I want to set appointments in there and I'm going to create this company on these foundations. What do you think? Now, that was just a lucky hit, but it gave me a thought. And it actually comes back to what you're doing at Youngblood Works, which is, huh, maybe it's time for us to consider how hard it is for folks to take conversations at pace and scale and turn it into results. Right. And have a smaller number 
of folks who do it professionally, included with all the customers who do it themselves. Let's, let's not just offer a do-it-yourself product. Let's offer something more packaged, but not just by happenstance. Maybe we should go out and start looking at this as a go-to-market. Now, had I not had that conversation, I might have gotten there eventually. That's right. Right. But I tell you, it stimulated me because here was somebody passionate about starting a business. And when I pushed back and said, I don't know, you know, that's, that business has got some dirty qualities to it. It can be pretty rough. Customers come and customers go. I call it the chocolate chip cookie business. You promise them uh, two dozen chocolate chip cookies with 12 chips in each one. <laughs> and if right. one of them has 11 chips, they say, take the entire batch back and give me another right. batch, right? That's right. And, mm-hmm. and she pushed back on me and said, no, I believe, and this is why I believe, and this is what, what I've done to prepare for it. What do you think? And I said, you know what? I'm willing to do that experiment. So now we get to do an experiment looking at a new market as a possibility, a whole new go-to-market, which you're already pioneering for us in a very pure yeah. kind of way. With somebody I don't know, like I know you. So it's a big variable difference. Mm -hmm. And would I have discovered that otherwise? No. So now I'm getting lucky. But that's important, too. It's important, too, to get lucky. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what CEOs are thinking. What are they going to do? Talk to their staff? I mean, they have work to do. They don't want to be bothering those people all the time. Track, yeah, look at spreadsheets. So that's a good one. That's why God made weekends, so that on a Saturday morning, we could take a glance at a spreadsheet, and if something jumps off it at us, we can take, ask a question or two. But really staring at data, doing analysis, reading endlessly, all that, sure. Take half an hour a day, half an hour, hold a discovery call. That's legit, just like any one of your other sales reps. You get no cherry picking. And by the way, don't complain about the false positives. That's part yeah. of it. As always, it never disappoints you put the quarter in and you listen to uh, not just one song, but we get a whole bunch of songs here for our value. So uh, thanks for the time today. As always, this is another episode of the Market Dominance Guys with Chris Beal and Corey Frank. Today's show is also brought to you by UncommonPro.com. Selling a big idea to a skeptical customer or investor is one of the hardest jobs in business. So when it's really time to go big, you need an uncommon methodology to convince others that your ideas will truly change their world. Through a modern and innovative sales and scripting tool set, we offer a guiding hand to ambitious leaders in their quest to reach market dominance. It's time to get uncommon with UncommonPro.com. Never miss an episode. Go to any of your favorite podcast venues and search for Market Dominance Guys or go to marketdominanceguys.com and subscribe.